morning, church. Uh, our first reading today is from the book of Proverbs, and I'm reading Proverbs chapter 23. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Do not eat the food of a begrudging host. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. Do not speak to fools, for they will just scorn your prudent words. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Punish them with a rod and save them from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom instruction and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. For an adulterous woman is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, 
when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Going on to our New Testament reading. We are in the book of James, chapter 1, reading verses 13 to 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Simone and well done everyone. I know when you listen to a proverb it can be a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. There's just so much coming at you as you I want to ponder that next verse. I want to ponder yeah, it can be like that. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was a young adults minister. It seems weird now, I'm not nearly cool or relevant enough for that. But uh, in that time and during that time, I remember, it must be about 10 years ago now that this particular incident happened. I remember where I was and the girl I was sitting across the table from, she was actually about to go and study in Vancouver and she's gone and do great things for the Lord. But she said to me, uh, she shared a phrase with me that I suspect will be well known to us all now. But in 2014, I was introduced to the word FOMO. I presume everyone's heard of FOMO by now, the, the fear of missing out. It was a new term to me. I believe it was coined in the late 90s, actually, but the onset of social media raised the stakes on that. FOMO was a new term to describe what was really an old behavior that was becoming amplified and has become amplified, hence we all know the term. It's where the fear of missing out seems to drive our behavior and decision-making, or the fear of missing out seems to retard our behavior and decision-making, where I won't decide because I might miss out, or I'll decide on everything at a mediocre level. FOMO is a new term for me, but it's an old term, and this morning as I speak to you, here is my goal to say perhaps we can move to something new. I want to put FOMO up against a new term, JOMO, trademark Shane Dirks. FOMO guy really should have trademarked it. JOMO, the joy of missing out. From the fear of missing out, I want to show you Proverbs 23 and see if we might come to a space where we might delight in the joy of missing out. Because here's the big idea. Fear of missing out consumes joy. Would you agree? Has anyone felt that? Eight o'clock were more lively than you. 
Fear of missing out consumes joy, but joy in the Lord consumes fear. Fear of missing out consumes joy, just sucks you dry. But joy in the Lord consumes fear. Here's how I want to try and take on this proverb, which was FOMO-inducing, because there are so many good verses. I'm thinking, I don't want to miss out on that one. Don't want to miss out on that one. But I knew you had no FOMO of a two-hour sermon, and you'd be happy with about 25 minutes. So I'm going to try and do that. Here's what we're going to do. As we move from FOMO to JOMO, we need to consider these three things. Beware of strings attached, verses 1 to 8. Your no's give value to your yeses, verses 9 to 14. And show me your friends, I'll show you your future, verses 15 to 35. Let's see if I can make sense of this. Beware of strings attached. Now the proverb starts in a very optimistic space, because it doesn't say if, it says when. When you sit and dine with a ruler. Isn't that nice? Maybe you'll be getting an invitation from his majesty the king. Who knows? But it's not an if, it's a when. You'll have someone of influence and power sitting with you. And it says, when you're in that space, note well. And this was the key phrase for me as I read this, note well. See, how does FOMO work? FOMO is where I see the immediate benefit. And in the three examples from this little part of the passage, man, this guy has delicacies, delicacies and stuff I don't normally get to eat. And wouldn't it be great if only I was born a millionaire? And wow, a free lunch, that sounds great. Yes, thanks for sharing. I'll be in on that. And you immediately see the benefit, do you not? And you wouldn't want to miss out on that. But from the beginning, we're told, note well. As you see the delicacies, as you see the riches, as you see the free lunch, do you see strings attached? And here there's a suggestion that yes, indeed, there can be strings attached. Beware when you sit with a ruler. If you crave his delicacies, and here's the strings that food is deceptive. Man, cut it out. And there's a, a, a very powerful image of a, don't do that. Put a knife to your throat, to your gullets. <clears throat> and this is something Daniel experienced, isn't it, in the book of Daniel? Sitting at Nebuchadnezzar's table, chosen amongst the best youths, name changed, probably made a eunuch, all the things you dream about. Uh, there he is. There he is, offered high position and stuff like that. Sit at the king's table, eat the king. Well, I'll just eat the veggies, thanks. Careful about what you're stepping into. We're living in an era now where you've got to work, you've got to pay the bills. And sometimes the ruler may not be someone who wears a crown, might simply be an employer who they and their organisation might have particular values that if you want to take their choice thing, if you want to step in with that, your allegiance in all that they stand for might be expected as well. So be careful. Sometimes there are strings attached. They say rent money is dead money. And the great Aussie dream is to own a home. And so we work hard. And well done. There's nobility in that. We work hard to secure the great Aussie dream and to own bricks and mortar. Because in that is allegedly security. The latest model vehicle can be a really nice thing to drive around in. But what they don't tell you is mortgage literally means death pledge. And those who know French can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm reliably informed. Death pledge. There's something in that of strings. Oh, I, I, I see strings. There's that challenge of, no, no, I've got to have the latest vehicle and all this. So as it depreciates, and I pay the interest on the loan because I had to have that one rather than the one that will do the job. 
Well, I'm not a financial advisor, but I'm just reading the Bible with you. Sometimes you wear yourself out to get rich. Watch out for the strings attached. And then there's this guy who invites you to lunch. He wants to feed you. Oh, eat, 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 eat. You're so thin, you're so thin, you must eat. But his heart's not with you. He doesn't take delight in this. I once went to a conference, and it was talking about leadership, and this was in the context of uh, maybe an office environment, but I think this happens in all relationships. Maybe in a galaxy far, far away, I've experienced, some people have experienced this in the family when it comes to how you buy presents at Christmas time and who gives what to whom. The idea that this speaker spoke about was that you will find in your workplace there will be people who are givers, there are people who are takers, and there are people who are matches. And he said, who are the people you want to work with? We all wanted the givers. Bring on those givers. Yeah, okay, givers are great. They give you stuff. He said, who do you fear? And initially we all went, oh, the takers, man. They're always asking for something. He said, the givers give you stuff and that's great. You know where you stand. The takers, you know when they're coming by your office, they're here to take something. The person you've got to fear is the matcher. The matcher is the person who comes along and says, I'll do this for you. Oh, I'll look after it, no problem. And you think they're giving you a gift. But truly what they've given you is an invoice. Did you get the language of you'll regurgitate it later? That is, it's going to come back up. No, no, I helped you with that report the other day. Surely you can do this for me now. That's a matcher. They don't give gifts, they give invoices disguised as gifts. And you'll regurgitate it back at some stage. And that's not wise to be in that space. It's a difficult space to be in. The problem with matches also is they wear themselves out. And if you're a matcher, matcher beware. Because it's really exhausting to keep balance of those books, isn't it? Well, wait a minute, I'm owed a favour over there. I owe that guy a favour. Wait, he owes me a favour. I've really got to invest over there so I can get something back later. And all that energy that they use matching, they start to resent themselves and tend to project that on the others around them as well. So be careful. The one that says, eat, eat, but their heart's not with you. Beware when there's strings attached. Don't let FOMO cause you to rush into a space that promises much but will hold you to something else. A friend of mine, Alex Cook, who runs an organisation called Wealth With Purpose, always warns people, beware of loaned money with strings attached. When the well-intending person says, I'll loan you that, are there hidden strings? Are there things that come back or is it really just a clear loan payback? Be careful. So you want to look for the thing. Where is blessing? Where is fullness? Where is wholeness? Where is the thing where, wow, you wouldn't want to miss out on that with no strings attached? And I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's Jesus. Right? Every world religion other than Jesus and faith in him is, some, is, a, is a ruler with strings attached. Hey, come to me, I'll give you all of this stuff. Now, here's the list of the things you've got to do. You'll need to pray this many times. You'll need to go to these places. You'll need to be part of this club. You'll need to do that thing, that thing, and the other. They're all strings attached, but not so Jesus. Jesus is his gift without strings attached. He's so, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that no one should perish, but whoever believes in him should have eternal life. There's no strings attached. Now already someone's got a feeling in their belly, and I'm going to engage with it now, that says, hey, hang on a minute, what about discipleship? What about how Jesus, Luke 14, says, you know, the cost of discipleship, lots of stuff going on there. We need to re-examine this. We need to pump the brakes and understand, because you may want to do a tune-up on your doctrine of saved by grace alone. 
What's a great picture of saved by grace alone? Thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, first let me see you produce some, some, some fruits of that faith. Now Jesus says, and today you'll be in my kingdom. We're done. Uh, Romans tells us, Romans 10, when your heart believes and your mouth confesses, you're saved, you're justified, you're done. Very grateful to our former Archbishop Glenn Davies, whose specialty area and thesis is in the book of Romans, and he points to the bookends of Romans where he talks about, well, where Paul talks about the obedience of faith. It's not the obedience of obligation, it's the obedience of faith. Many, many years before Glenn Davies came along, uh, there was another bishop, his name was Augustine, or Saint Augustine, and he said, if you love God, you may do as you, in, you are inclined. See, here's the thing. It's not that Jesus sort of sells us this free cookie of salvation and then says, now you've got to do this stuff. No, no, no. He calls us into a relationship with him. By his Holy Spirit, he changes the hearts of men and women. And as they grow in their love for God, they want to walk in Jesus' ways. They come with Jesus. A changed heart and a changed identity. The new person simply is being who they are. Jesus doesn't wait till you get it right, nor does he retract it when the times you don't get it right. He says, trust me, my grace is sufficient for you. See, this is where FOMO gets obliterated. Where fear of the Lord that Proverbs talk about, fear of the Lord is where we regard God as greater than me, as mightier than me, as me falling short of his glory. And I say, Lord, would you save me? And what comes to those who fear the Lord and trust the Lord? Salvation, yes, saved from hell for heaven. And at the same time, the beginning of wisdom. These are not separate things. These are things that mold together beautifully. Because in salvation and the wholeness, the peace, the shalom that there is in knowing and loving Jesus and better being known and loved by Jesus comes a wholeness and a joy that consumes fear and an ability to not be given out to FOMO. Because we have the God who gives joy without strings attached, he fills us that we might not fall victim to FOMO, which brings us to our second point. We're able to say no. I'm falling over. No gives value to your yeses. And that's our second point. Verses 9 to 13. No gives value to your yeses. And uh, the key verse for me here was, do not move an ancient boundary stone. And you might say, well, who'd want to? I hurt my back and I'll lift up a heavy stone. You gotta understand it's a boundary stone. And maybe the best way I can explain this is to once again go back in time to 1983 and I'm in kindergarten. And uh, in kindergarten, I'm sitting at a desk, you know those twin desks you get? So there's me here and there's Joseph here. Joseph and I share the twin desk and there's a little divider down the bottom because you put your books and stuff underneath the desk. Um, the bigger kids got flip-top desks, but we didn't get that in kindergarten. So we put our stuff in there. Anyway, I was quite sure, and I believed everyone also knew, that I was the second toughest kid in Miss Caruana's kindergarten class. So I remember early in the piece saying to Joseph, Joseph, because there's a lot, Joseph, my desk comes up to here. Now Joseph... He also thought the boundary markers should be moved. He said, no, my desk comes up to here. More my desk then came up to here. 
And you can see how this is going back and forth as two young men were keen to move an ancient boundary stone. The problem for the second toughest kid in the class was he was just about to meet the toughest kid in the class. And I can still remember Patricia, one of the girls in my class, I remember hearing her voice saying, Miss, Shane's crying. When we move the boundary stone, we're encroaching upon another. And sometimes there's an opportunity. I thought there was an opportunity. They say opportunity knocks, right? One of the things we have to develop if we're going to be wise is we don't just ask ourselves questions of can I? We obviously ask ourselves questions of should I? And one of the most powerful things a wise person does, God does this, is self-limitation. To be able to limit yourself and say, no, that's enough. I could, but should I? Do I need to? Hey, Shane and Joseph, what are the effects of you moving the boundary on somebody else? And the passage is powerful. Verse 10 actually speaks about don't encroach upon the fields of the fatherless. These are the ones whose inheritance in Israel. And this all goes back to the whole land and allocations and stuff like that of how might you be encroaching upon them and taking away from someone who's vulnerable. Of course, Jesus would pick this up with the language of love your neighbor as you love yourself. What are you moving that boundary stone for and making him have less that you might have? Well, that's not loving him as you love yourself. Be able to say no to yourself, for it is wisdom in saying no to yourself. Be able to say no, verse 9 says, do not speak to fools, for they will scorn your prudent words. The new international Dirks version just says, don't get in debates on Facebook. No point. Ah, you can if you want, and some people do it really well. But this, this is actually, frivolity aside, it's a really hard verse to apply. If you let me, let me take you there. <sighs> the hearts of those who love the Lord want everyone to love the Lord, because we know the joy. And Robin brought us a great message last week from Proverbs where you might recall, fools forget God. So here we are talking about fools, those who might not know the Lord, and all you want is to draw near, to see the heart melted, to see them come to Christ. And so you want to engage, you want to talk, you want to be there, you want to honor this relationship. Sometimes the best thing you can do is let silence or even absence do the heavy lifting. There are times where it's better that you're not there. Sometimes somebody might call for you to be in partnership with them, to give affirmation to something, for your presence to be in allegiance with them, and your absence will be conspicuous. So here's the thing, it's true, actions speak louder than words. If my gospel, if my gospel as it should be says, Jesus is Lord, there is no name greater than his, and I am his disciple, and I receive my fullness and my everything you can't add to me and you can't take away because I'm in a relationship with Jesus. But then I turn up with someone in a space Jesus wouldn't want me to be. What's my message? Jesus is my first, except when it comes to you and me. Jesus is my first, but this relationship, I've got to protect the relationship, it comes first. No's give value to your yeses and sometimes... Hard as it is, hard as it is, you've got to take a backward step 
I love you, but I can't be part of that. I love him more. And I want you to love him more than you love me. So silence and absence can communicate. And here's the beauty at verses 9 and 10 saying, don't do this, don't do this, say no. And then you get, here's a yes. So don't get involved in the foolish talk, but instead, verse 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Say no, so you can say yes. This is like, and this guy's sitting in the room, but I won't embarrass him, explained to me one time, hey, Dirksy, when you highlight the whole page, you haven't highlighted anything. All I had done was taken a white page and made it fluoro yellow. I have to say no to some sentences so I can say a real highlight yes to others that you gotta know this. That's how it works. You gotta say no to some stuff. Full in the Lord, not with FOMO. Full in the Lord even when it hurts and there's a relationship at stake that you might say a deep and profound yes and make a true and sound commitment. And here's the thing, the joy of missing out, the joy of missing out, which I'm talking about here with saying no to give value to yeses, the beauty of it is it even extends to children. See verses 13 to 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. This is not my riff on whether you smack children or not. There are godly and wise and gentle Christians who smack children and there are godly and gentle and wise uh, Christians who don't smack children. Uh, Avoid the mystery, Rachel and I don't smack children. Um, But we believe very much, I shall come back to that, we don't smack children. And the other thing I want to say from this verse is if you think this is an excellent verse of uh, what to do with the rod, as a justification for smacking children, and there are other justifications, but if you find it here, because it says rod, then be very careful what you do with knives. Because earlier in this passage, there was also an instruction for what to do with a knife. Read your scriptures carefully and in context. Nonetheless, there are wise and godly and respectable and gentle Christians on both sides of that discussion, and it's one I'm not equipped to have the full uh, discussion now on. There's also a conversation you could have about the place of punishment on this side of the cross. Remember, Proverbs comes before the cross where Jesus pays our punishment. Uh, And so, again, that's a conversation for Rachel and I. We don't do punishment. We do apologies, we do forgiveness, we do real consequences, and we do making restitution. We do those things, but punishment, we're like, Jesus took care of that. You can take Jesus or you can face God later on. I don't need the vengeance. Um, But again, wise and godly Christians on both sides, it's a conversation to have. Now, what else do I need to say? What is indisputable about this passage is that discipline is so vital for children. For that there are spaces where no gives value to yes. Uh, where bedtime means bedtime. Present no option. I hope it's not too flip for me to say, oh, but they were crying, screaming their lungs out in there. Means they're breathing. Good sign. Sign of health. 
And if you think I'm being flipped, that's what I said. That's what my children were. Oh, good, they're breathing. I then moved to a further away room so I don't have to listen to all that joyful breathing. But friends, I have to say to you, I have seen through church life the times where young adults who think they'll never become parents become parents overnight. And, and I know different children are different. Sometimes there are specialist uh, inputs that might be required, but who don't learn to put kids to bed because little sweetie will cry too much and be sad. And because of that, the child starts to take ownership of the household and controls when mum and dad can go out. Can mum and dad participate in a life group? Can mum and dad participate in a ministry? Can mum and dad participate in church? Will mum and dad participate in the kingdom? Nose are really good. Now, my wife made me promise that I wouldn't jump onto my hobby horse and talk about trophies for everybody who turns up. So in honour of my wife, I'm not going to talk about trophies for everybody who turns up and the abomination before all humanity that that is. <laughs> but I'll say this. Here's a wonderful quote that I found just randomly yesterday. And so I haven't got it on the screen because that was done. Anyway, let me read it to you. The gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they are perfect. Loving themselves is virtuous. Their heart is always right. And nothing is more important than being happy. Shall I read it again? The gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they are perfect. Loving themselves is virtuous. Their heart is always right. And nothing is more important than being happy. So I'll leave you with that rather than talk about the celebration of mediocrity that is giving trophies to everyone who just turned up. <laughs> Our children are blessed when we allow them to miss out sometime. It's character building, it's joy building, it causes them to search somewhere else for the joy and that joy is in Christ. It equips them for adulthood the adulthood that we hope that they might have where they deal well with missing out and find fullness and hope not in the things to be acquired, not in the delicacy foods or dealing with matches, as in takers, givers, not playing with matches. They shouldn't do that either. But in the joy of the Lord. And so my last point. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Now verse 29 asks the question, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, and who has complaints? Who are the people who are wrestling with this sort of stuff? Well, probably a lot of us, but particularly under God, this proverb is inspired to look to one particular group. And it pushes us to verses 30. I'm going to read from verses 30 and onward. Those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, it's just a cellar door, uh, go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not graze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Even snake handlers who are experienced are particularly careful when handling vipers. Do you think maybe 
in our Australian culture, in our Australian Christian culture, it's worth rethinking our attitude towards alcohol. Because vipers aren't playthings. Alcohol might not be as normal as we think. I'm not saying you can't have a drink. It's not for me to say to you. I'm saying I wonder if we need to reevaluate our society. Because verses like those who linger over wine, do not gaze when the wine is ready, when it goes in. And yet, and it's not my intention to embarrass anybody, and yet, so often as I, being a Facebook junkie, that's another day's sermon, scroll through, I see all the pictures. Wine, beer, drink held like a trophy of an undeserving kid. Sorry, I'll stop doing that. Had to provide some levity, you see. But all of these pictures of celebration with, look, I've got the thing we all want. It looks a little like lingering. It may not be, but with just a picture to the broader world, the context can be hard to tell. And I'm an ambassador for Christ. I want to be a wise person. So that's tricky. The celebration of all things alcohol in our country sometimes, I think is worth thinking about again. Did you notice in the questions here that are put in verse from... um, From verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints? Brace yourself. Who has needless bruises? We have an epidemic of domestic violence in Australia. We have far too many people killed or injured in road accidents that are alcohol-related. We have shocking stories sometimes on the news of people being coward punched. It's a viper. And yet somehow we've become very, care- very careless, I would say, with our pet viper, happily popping a photo, giving gifts of alcohol to people. Did you check first? Do you wrestle with alcohol? Can you please never turn up at my house with a gift that's a pet, that's a viper? I don't want that to happen. Nor a guinea pig or a bunny, but particularly not a viper, please. Just check. We treat alcohol like a rite of passage. Like somehow now you're a grown up and wise because you can have this. Maybe. You don't have to. Whenever people have asked my view of alcohol used in public ministry... I've always said, sorry, that's not true. For many years I've said, no, just don't. Create safe spaces to hear a dangerous message that'll cut you to the heart. Don't give me a dangerous place with a safe message. But they'll say we're a bunch of wowsers. That's the voice of FOMO. I have no fear of what people will say of me. That's kids' talk. That's the talk of a fool. I've been declared a saint. I've been declared a son of God. I've been declared righteous by God. I trust in Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What do I care what people call me? What do you care what people call you? 
Don't worry about that. Or worry about it and then instead say, yeah, we, we don't do it at the public stuff because we know what a big issue it is in our society today and we just want to love everybody and make sure they're safe. But don't worry, the message should punch you in the guts a little bit, so that'll be dangerous. Come and have a great time. Sometimes there's this idea of alcohol and uh, this image here is kind of funny, isn't it, of being on top of the rigging of the boat and just floating. And they hit me and I didn't feel it. Woohoo! Life feels better. That's called delusion. But the Lord Jesus brings deliverance. And that is why my message today, as you'll see uh, coming up on the screen, is that FOMO versus JOMO is where we want to press. JOMO, trademark Shane Dirks. Fear of missing out consumes joy. You know that. You didn't need a sermon to hear that. But joy in the Lord, the gracious God who loves you, no strings attached, the gracious God who fills you that you can say no because you cannot add to what he's already given you and no one can take it away as well. The gracious God who said to his first disciples, I now call you friends calls everyone who trusts in him a friend and secures them a future just like that man who became his friend whilst he hung on a cross. Remember me. I got you, mate. You'll be in paradise with me. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. FOMO versus JOMO. In Jesus Christ, come with me. I'll take JOMO, joy of missing out. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his crazy love for us we thank you heavenly father that you so loved us that you sent him no strings attached to rescue us from hell for heaven father god may we receive the fullness of his blessing and delight in walking as the new person he's made us people sound and secure and able to say uh, say important no's that we might give compelling yeses Father God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus who told us, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And so may he be our first friend that we might have future secured and might walk in wisdom in the now time. For in his name we pray, amen.